0: In the books, just about in the books. Got a couple of Monday night games as we are sitting here recording this first full on episode of Wire to Wire here at the Athletic. We're going to be coming to you twice a week, every week, talking about the waiver wire. Uh, We all know how important this is to add to your teams throughout the season. We've got no shortage of names to tackle here in week two. We're going to refer to this as the week ahead waiver wire. So we'll call this the week two uh, edition of Wire to Wire here at the Athletic. I'm your host, Michael Beller. Joined, as always, by my co-host on Wired to Wire, Brandon Funston. Funston, how was your week one Sunday? Oh, it's crazy. You get
1: to find out all the things you didn't know you didn't know, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and we get to talk about it right now because there was a lot of guys that uh, you know, put themselves immediately into the spotlight. And week one can be a little bit crazy sometimes, and you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt. But uh, I think there are some guys that uh, you know, we will be talking about coming up that might have some staying
0: power. Yeah, definitely. You always wanna to try to sift through who uh just popped up for one week and who is, you know, maybe this year's Philip Lindsay and uh is having that big week one and gonna stick around all season and be someone who helps you win leagues. That's what we're gonna try to do in wire to wire every week and obviously Week one, week two, one of the most important ones, given that uh, guys who you pick up this week and end up having that staying power can really shift the, ba- the power balance in fantasy league. So let's just jump right into it here, Funston. Uh, the way we're going to do this is we're going to look only at guys who are owned in fewer than 50% of leagues across the three main operators, Yahoo!, ESPN, CBS. Luckily, the two of us are in leagues on all of those, so we can check all those sites, check ownership rates. As long as Guy is uh, owned in fewer than 50% on at least two of those operators, we're going to be willing to talk about him here. And what we're going to do uh, procedurally is, is focus on the biggest names at the top of the waiver target list, regardless of position, to start off. And then we'll get into position by position, guys. We've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 25 guys here. So let's uh, waste no further time and get right in with our first name. 17 targets is typically going to make someone pretty popular on the waiver wire. That's what Jamison Crowder got for the New York Jets. Caught 14 of them for 99 yards. Funston, I think he's got to be the number one guy in any league where he's available.
1: Yeah, you know, initially looking at the Jets, I, I thought, ooh, a healthy Quincy and Nunua, he'll be an interesting late sleeper. And then I, you know, somewhere in midseason, it started to make too much sense that Jameson Crowder was going to be the guy that Sam Darnold would probably be looking at a lot. They, you know, they've, been known the last couple of years to target their slot a decent amount. I know it's a new coaching regime, but uh, Jamison Crowder typically can, uh, you know, quickly make himself a quarterback's best friend. So you said it: 17 targets, pretty rare air, 14 catches, 99 yards. Uh, he's a slam dunk pickup, top one on our board this week. And you get the the Cleveland Browns who made Marcus Mariota look like Johnny Unitas. Um, so you, you like that coming up in week two on Monday night. Uh you know, it's rosy picture ahead for Jameson Crowder for sure.
0: Yeah, I think you you nailed it. The fact that this was not necessarily hard to see coming. I don't think any of us was predicting 17 targets, but the ter- in terms of him being the number one, receiver for the Jets in terms of target share uh, and Michael Selfino will have a great uh, market share column out later uh, or early this week, but uh, later today on Monday or early on Tuesday. So definitely be sure to check that out. Um, that's not a surprise. I think we all could have seen Jamison Crowder coming as the number one receiver. He's right up against that 50% threshold. So uh, not going to be out there in a, a huge amount of leagues, but anywhere where he is, uh, no matter how shallow your league might be. He's definitely someone who you're going to want to go after aggressively? Uh, we we thinking he's the uh, the number one guy there for for the entire season. Obviously, not 17 targets per game, number one, but he should be leading this team in targets. Correct.
1: Yeah, I think he should be. Uh, you know, Robbie Anderson didn't have a great day, but I, I don't I wouldn't worry about that. This is where we talk about like week one, don't overreact. This isn't gonna be the absolute Jameson Crowder show. Uh Sam Darnold and, and Robbie Anderson had good chemistry in the past. I expect there'll be plenty of games going forward where those guys will will work the vertical game well. But uh Jameson Crowder in in PPR bump leagues i'm sure is going to be the uh the guy here to kind of be the compiler and to be like that steady week in and week out guy
0: yeah and what you love about him not just someone who you are picking up for depth someone you can pick up and start right away in week two our second guy fits that as well Never know what to expect from rookie tight ends, but we do know that TJ Hawkinson was a big-time draft prospect, and he delivered in his NFL debut. Nine targets, caught six of them for 131 yards and a touchdown. He certainly looked the part of a legitimate tight end one for both fantasy purposes and real-life purposes. When you talk about the way that tight ends can change the game in the modern game and can totally change their offense's fortunes, uh, Hawkinson looked like he can be that guy right away for the Lions.
1: Yeah. And cut the big deep ball and a kind of a Stafford rollout threw it up there and you could just kind of see his physical stature coming to play there on that, on that bomb for the touchdown. Uh, kind of look like a young Gronkowski, but uh, nine targets out of the, out of the shoot. That's, that's great. Um, this is going to be a run heavy team and this game did go into overtime and there was a little bit more probably throwing than Detroit uh, typically will do. But uh, you know, I would expect. I would just say caution a little bit because he's still a rookie, and I don't know if this is going to be smooth sailing every week. But uh I think he's a guy that has to be on rosters because there's so much upside here, and he flashed it right away.
0: Are you willing to grab him and start him right away? I mean, do you think you could immediately think of him as a worthy fantasy starter week in, week out?
1: Man, I'm trying to think of what if you maybe if you have like a Trey Burton or somebody mm-hmm. who's yeah i mean i i would be willing if i was in a pinch if i had a really good if i had a really good tight end or someone who you know seems solid still and is not um kind of looking troublesome after week one i might hold off they go they'll play who detroit plays the chargers next week um i mean just on pure recency bias of the fact that i think jack doyle and eric ebron combined for two catches and like less than 20 yards it wasn't a great day for the tight ends there i mean that doesn't mean that tj hawkinson can't come in and, and do work against them but i would
0: i would kind of be somewhere in the middle on
1: that i'm trying to i'm trying to straddle the fence on your on your <laughs> question
0: there <laughs> yeah he yeah i think that's a fair po- spot for him though like he, he's going to be at the very least, he's in that low end tight end one group, like a guy we're talking about on as riding that tight end one, two border now for the next couple of weeks until you know he maybe puts together a couple more big games like this and we r- remove all doubt about his fantasy starting status. But I think at the very least what he did for himself week one is put himself uh, into that low-end stream group, and maybe, uh, and as you said, because of the upside, get himself into uh, the group of guys who we're thinking of as, no doubt about it, locked in every single week. Starters at the tight end position. But TJ Hawkinson, definitely someone who's going to be popular on waiver wires this week, and justifiably so. Uh, Let's move on to our number three guy here as we uh, kick off wire to wire going into week two. Uh, It was a good day for people named Brown, not for the Cleveland Browns, but for guys with the surname Brown. Uh, We had a number uh, jump up and have big week one performances. John Brown, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, and Malcolm Brown uh, all having big games in week one. Of those four guys, which one do you prioritize? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with John Brown. I, I, You know,
1: we always like to follow targets in fantasy football. John Brown had 10 of them, seven catches, 143 yards, and a touchdown. He His touchdown was a big play touchdown like we expect. John Brown will have a few of those along the way. And I just think – uh, you know they brought him in we saw Robert Foster flash in that role last year John Brown's a better version of that and in this construct of this Buffalo Bills offense where it's a lot of schoolyard you know drawing plays on dirt sometimes because Josh Allen's you know that's just kind of what happens with with things with him with his rushing ability his ability to get out and, and throw the ball with his cannon of an arm I think we're going to see A lot of big plays from John Brown going forward, but the fact that he also got a steady 10 targets uh, makes me feel very good about him uh, on a more consistent kind of level. So John Brown's my number three, but you're right. Great day for the Browns.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. It was uh, they they really they really all across the league, except for the ones in Cleveland, like we said, really came through for you. Uh, I'm with you on John Brown. The 10 targets are huge. We always knew he had this. Per target ability in him. Uh, But if he's going to be a guy who is regularly getting seven and a half, eight targets per game, then he could end up having, I think, a pretty big season in that Buffalo offense. Uh, Just to change it up, I'll highlight Hollywood Brown, uh, Marquise Brown making his NFL debut, two huge touchdown catches from Lamar Jackson, ended up catching four of five targets for 147 yards and those two scores. Baltimore's not going to get to play Miami every single week. This is not going to be a 59-point-per-week uh, uh, team. Of course, that goes without saying. But what you have to love about uh, Marquise Brown, you know this was a first-round talent. This was a guy who was taken in the first round uh, of the NFL draft. He looks like he's going to be, uh, if not the clear number one receiver in that offense, then someone who's at least going to have a consistent week-in, week-out role. Lamar Jackson did not rely on his legs at all. Yesterday, uh, on Sunday, just six rushing yards for him. Uh, Looked every bit the legitimate downfield passer that he was at Louisville and that people believed he could become with a little bit of seasoning in the NFL. And if that's the case... Then I think we're talking about Hollywood Brown as potentially a wide receiver three for the entire season. So he's someone who uh, I'm happy to go after. Wouldn't necessarily be my first target on waiver wires, not someone who I'm going to put my biggest bid into. But if he's available, I'm definitely going to have some claims in for him because could find a way to uh, really consistent, strong fantasy playing time this season uh, where are we on the other Browns AJ Brown and Malcolm Brown while we're uh, talking about these guys uh, how much of a priority are you putting on either of them going into your week two bids uh
1: yeah that's a good question Malcolm Brown you know we we are very high on Durrell Henderson uh you know and and out of the gate you know I, I heard somewhere along the way I, I forget who it was was a reporter or uh, some somebody some reporter said hey we're all way too high on Henderson it's still Malcolm Brown and and that stuck with me, and I remember thinking, yeah, he's probably right. You know, <laughs> it's probably it's probably true. And it's here we are in week one, and it is true. So um, I think, you know, if Malcolm Brown's out there, he shouldn't be. He, sh- he should at least be on every Todd Gurley team, right? Like right. he should be owned as a handcuff. I'm not a big handcuff guy, but I think there are uh, a decent amount of, you know, maybe – half dozen or more that I would be interested in handcuffing. But this is, you know, this is a Rams offense. It's got a lot of upside. And if they're going to manage Todd Gurley in that arthritic knee in this fashion, and it's going to be Malcolm Brown and not Henderson, the rookie, or, you know, at least until they kind of evolve into wanting Henderson to be more of that guy, uh, Malcolm Brown, I kind of think just even in like, you know, 12 teamers, he should be on rosters. Because I think there's probably 10 to 12 touches for him every week and in this offense that's that's worthwhile so I'm pretty I'm pretty I guess I'm saying I'm pretty high on him
0: yeah I think you have every reason to be uh conversely while we're on the subject then we'll move on here uh how concerned should Todd Gurley owners be I mean are you if you had to bet right now is he does he end the season as a top 10 back yes or no Uh,
1: I think that's slightly high I think he's somewhere in that that 10 to 15 range mm-hmm. uh, which is which is where i ended up i think ranking him going into the season i think i had him number 11 but i think he can you know on on the workload that he, if he gets that kind of 12 to 15 touches i think he's going to fit finish in that range it's just a matter about him you know getting to the finish line and uh, this may be the way that they do it just reeling back on the on the workload
0: yeah, I'm not concerned really about him at all. Obviously, the ceiling isn't what it was last year, but still had 94 yards yesterday. So not like he was uh, he was a bum. Uh, just didn't get those touchdowns. And you know, even though Malcolm Brown is clearly going to be a presence for this team at the goal line, I think Todd Gurley is going to manage to get himself a couple of touchdowns from the one from the three inside the five-yard line. So not pushing any alarm buttons uh, if I've got Todd Gurley. And if someone in my league is doing that, I'm definitely willing to uh, check out any trade possibilities because Todd Gurley... Maybe not the 2018 ceiling, but still going to be a very fine player here this year. All right, let's go to our position by position breakdown of the waiver wire. You're going to be able to get this in print form also from Jake Sealy. Uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, it's not up yet, but by the time you come back to this on Tuesday, Jake's article will be up. He'll break down the waiver wire for you and only. Uh, Jake Seeley fashion, so you'll definitely (laughs) want to check that out for sure. We're going to give it to you here in audio form. Uh, Funston, the first running back who I want to talk about is Ronald Jones. Uh, I really uh, (laughs) stuck it to Ronald Jones during the offseason. I thought this guy was a total bum last year. He did nothing during the summer to uh, distinguish himself in that Tampa Bay offense. All you heard about was Daria Gunbowale, and it seemed like Peyton Barber was going to hold on to the uh, primary running gig, but... Jones looked decent, was one of the few guys who looked decent for that Tampa team in their loss to San Francisco. 13 carries for 75 yards. He had one catch. That was his only target for 18 yards. So 93 yards from scrimmage on 14 touches. Are we buying him as the lead guy in Tampa Bay going forward?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I'd be buying him. Mean, Tampa was a train wreck yesterday. Uh, they played playing from behind. And, and the 49ers... We don't know what kind of a run defense they had. It wasn't very good last year, um, but we haven't seen anything positive from Ronald Jones since he was drafted. So we'll take it right now. Right. I mean, and he was the most productive back. And I I feel like there is a hot hand situation to be had here. And so right now, Ronald Jones seems like he's running ahead of the pack. And, you know, that's that's kind of all that matters for for week two and you're not usually you're going to pick these guys up because you need help but it means that you have someone that you're willing to cut and you know you might as well roll some dice and and i think it's a good time to roll a dice on ronald jones like i said he's kind of leading the pack there there's an opportunity for someone to step forward he's got the draft pedigree i watched him a lot at usc and i loved him i i've been as shocked as anybody that he hasn't you know he failed to launch last year but maybe you know, maybe just needed a year of experience and, and comfortability and uh, and maybe even a new coaching regime. So um, it's, you know, it's it's arrows up right now. I, I'm certainly interested in him from a talent standpoint.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there for the the pure upside play he's uh, pretty much in that group of first three guys that we talked about for me more than he is in this other group of running backs uh you know Peyton Barber's not not keeping anyone off the field again but looked fine but didn't get any carries he was the third down back got five targets but again he's probably not running Ronald Jones off the field so certainly there's an upside play here and uh you got to believe that Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers are going to put together much better offensive showings later on in the season than what We saw from them against San Francisco yesterday. So, definitely, Ronald Jones is someone who uh, I am making a priority add in leagues where he is available. Got a couple of running backs who are having the door opened for them because of week one injuries. We'll start in Cincinnati with Giovanni Bernard. Always was going to have his role as a pass catcher, but now we've got Joe Mixon dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury. Doesn't sound like it'll be too serious, but Mixon could be missing time. And in that time, Geo would likely step in as the primary runner for the Bengals, seven carries for 21 yards, two catches for 42 yards in their very narrow loss, surprising, but uh, had a lot of uh, survivor people likely uh, shaking in their boots just barely falling to the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Uh, where are you on Bernard going into your week 2 bids?
1: Yeah, if 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 Mixon's not going to play, I kind of like him. They're at home against San Francisco. Um we just, like we just said, Ronald Jones worked 13 carries for 75 yards against them last week. I, I was watching, I watched every play of that game because they're they playing my Seattle Seahawks. And The run blocking wasn't great. I don't think Seattle's as good a run defense as Cincinnati made him look. Um, So I don't think there's going to be huge upside on the ground, but you saw the two catches for 42 yards. That's what Gio does. He's so versatile. Uh, In a game against San Francisco, if he's the guy, you can see him getting a lot. You know, he had 42 receiving yards on two catches. You can see him doubling that uh, possibly, you know, at least getting four or five catches for some nice yardage. Uh, and maybe sneak it into the end zone. So I like him as a short-term, you know, just plug and play, especially if you're a Mixon owner and you need to, you know, if Mixon's not going to play this week, I would plug in Gio Bernard for a week, absolutely.
0: Yeah, definitely, and he's also one of those guys who's got some handcuff value, likely to be a pure... Pretty clean transition from Mixon to Bernard, one of the few uh, spots in across the league where we can say that we know for sure who the primary guy is going to be when the starter is down. So Bernard definitely has some nice short-term value. Where are we on Raheem Mostert? Uh, Tevin Coleman sounds like he did suffer a little bit more significant of an injury. He could be out for some time. Uh, doesn't seem like San Francisco is going to be leaning on any one guy at all, no matter who's healthy. Mostard had nine carries for 40 yards. He was getting some run even before Coleman had to leave that game with an injury. I think he's clearly behind Bernard. He's still more of a deeper league play for me, but someone who I will be throwing some bids at uh, you know, as a fourth running back. If I can't get Ronald Jones, if I can't get Giovanni Bernard, and I do want to make a move on the wire, I think mostard has got enough juice to be that sort of last resort running back ad this week.
1: Yeah. If I'm a mixing owner, if I'm looking for just a, you know, a single week bang, I'm definitely going to go for Bernard, but we know that San Francisco will run a a platoon backfield. Uh, They did it last year. Um, It was Brita. It was Mostert. It was Jeff Wilson. None of the guys were like healthy for very long, but they were constantly rotating two guys through. And Michael Salfino in his scouting notebook noted that Mostert, I uh, had six touches of fifteen plus yards and just over in in just forty touches last year. That was the highest rate of fifteen yard um, plays for guys that touched the ball at least forty yard or forty times. So there is some big play upside from him. Um, I, I think for the long haul, you know for as long as Coleman's out, I think you know he would be the better pick over Bernard if you're not just looking for a, a kind of like a short term. A week two hole kind of a deal, but you just want a guy who maybe is going to be able to help you for you know a few weeks out. Uh, Mostert might be the better pickup in that respect, but I, I I'm interested in him because San Francisco has been a pretty good pretty good place for running backs, and uh, you know unfortunately you know if you're a Matt Breida guy, they're they're not going to go to a Bill Cow situation, but um, still they can support two running backs pretty
0: well. Yeah, I think so too. And definitely want to take a shot on that early on in the season while you can. If that Tevin Coleman injury ends up being serious, Monster could be a guy who has some regular starting chops uh, going forward. A couple of running backs to talk about before we tie up the position. One I was surprised to see how available he is. It's Justin Jackson. Uh, Austin Eckler looked excellent. There is no question about who is in control of that backfield for as long as Melvin Gordon holds out. Austin Eckler probably, uh, if you started him, you probably are 1-0 and oh going into week two. But Justin Jackson uh, did very well with his opportunities. Six carries for 57 yards, had just one catch. Uh, for me, he's another depth guy uh, because of how good Eckler played, but enough uh, enough of uh, an ability here that he should be owned in most competitive leagues.
1: Yeah, I thought the discrepancy in touches would be a little bit tighter between Eckler and Jackson, but Eckler was on a roll, and I don't blame the Chargers for giving him the ball more on Sunday than than, you know, than Jackson but Jackson's probably in line for he had what seven total touches he's probably typically going to be in line for right around 10 touches and Mm -hmm. I think that'll play I I agree I I, you know what you said about him I agree but there's it seems like the hierarchy has clearly been established that Eckler is the guy
0: yeah I would be more excited I I, like if, if you could sub Justin Jackson like with Raheem Mostert I feel like Justin Jackson could do more with what the Raheem Mostert role in San Francisco than Mostert's going to do with it. No knock on Mostert. It's just a, it's a volume situation. It's hard with as well as Eckler played last year and then in week one and the clear uh, uh, breakdown of touches between the two clearly favoring uh, Austin Eckler. I just find it hard for a realistic path to any more than, you know, eight touches, 10 touches at the maximum for Justin Jackson in any given week.
1: Yeah. and and. If this is not just a an example of like you know one guy gets more touches and of course he's going to be more productive. Eckler like was awesome. He earned yeah. he earned his yardage. I mean the, the the touchdown run, the long touchdown run after the catch was you know multiple broken tackles along the way. It was you know one of the top highlights of the day. So uh, I agree. It's a good it's a good situation for the back. So it's a good offense. And I, and I, I, I kind of concur that if Jackson was the Raheem Mostert in San Francisco, probably a little bit higher ceiling there, but uh, yeah, this is, this is sort of a, you know, not a bad guy to kind of park on your bench. And if anything happens to Eckler, who's not a big guy and you never know, he, he kind of got banged up last year. Mm -hmm. Then Justin Jackson gets
0: thrust into prominence. Definitely someone who needs to be owned because of that upside and because of what that uh, Charger running back is asked to do, no matter who it is. One more running back, uh, pure handcuff here, Alexander Madison. Uh, Minnesota Vikings were the run heaviest team in the league uh, in week one. They told us all summer they wanted to be it. They told us last winter they wanted to be that when they fired John DiFilippo in favor of Kevin Stefanski. They bring in Gary Kubiak uh, during the offseason, and it it paid big-time dividends, Dalvin Cook 21 carries for 111 yards and two touchdowns. But Alexander Madison looked good with his opportunities. Nine carries for 49 yards. Uh, Again, if anything happens to Dalvin Cook, and something has happened to Dalvin Cook in both of his first two years in the NFL, it seems like Alexander Madison steps right into what looks like it could be a very lucrative role.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And he's looked good all preseason, um, looked good in his backup role in week one. And I kind of look at him like this year's Rashad Penny in that, you know, even if even if, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook stays healthy, like Rashad Penny was was decent enough to kind of be owned and plugged in in flex spots during bye weeks. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a you know, you talked about how run heavy this team was started last year when Stefanski took over halfway through the season. Uh, we saw them kind of transition right away. But I think there's going to be a regular nine to ten carries like we saw in week one for him. I, and I again, it's because of that injury history of Dalvin Cook. I don't think they want to give him much more than 15 to 18, you know, carries in a given game. So if they're going to be that run heavy, there's probably going to be a, a decent handful for Madison week in and week out.
0: Yeah. They're probably not going to be able to have, what was it like 38 run plays to 10 pass plays every single week, <laughs> but we know that that's how they want to play. And that was a, yeah, that was a, it was a home game, but that was a, a an Atlanta team that people are expecting to be competitive that they totally shut down. So, I don't think that's the last time we're going to see that exact script from Minnesota. And like you said, Alexander Madison, as long as Dalvin Cook is healthy, not going to have enough of a role that you're super confident in rolling him out there. But injuries happen, bye weeks are inevitable. And in those situations, you could look at Alexander Madison and say, all right, I can I can live with these 10 carries in my starting lineup and maybe he pops a touchdown.
1: Yep, Exactly.
0: All right. Before we move on to wide receivers, let's uh, run back over these running backs. We got Ronald Jones, Gio Bernard, Raheem Mostert, Justin Jackson, Alexander Madison, assuming a vacuum. So you're not a Delvin Cook owner. Uh, How do you prioritize those five guys on the waiver wire this week?
1: I would go Ronald Jones one most potential to have the biggest role for the longest period of time. Um, And then then it's and then it's man, I might go. Honestly, I might go Madison for for overall yeah, upside okay. mm-hmm. if someone went down, and then it's probably Jackson, Mostert, and Bernard. And I, but if I'm prior prioritizing for just week two, Bernard's probably right after Ronald Jones. So yeah. that's that's where I'm. That's kind of how I'm looking at it.
0: Yeah, we're we're pretty close here. I, I think Ronald Jones is the easy number one, and then going forward, I would probably go uh, Mostert, too, assuming long term. I might go Gio Bernard 3 just because I think that he has to play a role for Cincinnati no matter what happens with Joe Mixon. Um, I'd probably go Jackson 4 and Madison 5, although if I'm a Delvin Cook owner and Madison's sitting out there and I just saw what happened, he definitely shoots up right by uh, Ronald Jones for me. But uh, definitely Ronald Jones I think is the takeaway here. Uh, If you're needing running back help, Ronald Jones is the guy for you. Let's move over to wide receivers. Funston, we had a lot of big performances from lightly owned wide receivers. The first one who I want to start with is a guy who you watched quite a bit of on Sunday. DK Metcalf, six targets, caught four of them, 89 yards, a few big plays down the field. Uh, What did you see from Metcalf in week one and how aggressively are you targeting him on the waiver wire?
1: Yeah, the Bengals really concentrated on Tyler Lockett and not letting him get his looks, and and it took him a long time until he finally – yeah, I think he had two targets in this game. Yep. So uh, so they were kind of forced in them to throw to DK Metcalf. I thought he looked great. I thought he looked really good. Uh, They had a, one big play down the field that you're going to expect to see more of, but he he ran some decent routes. They weren't just vertical routes. He, he ran some nice slant routes and uh, some stuff that kind of veered over the middle – and and look good doing it so um i think there's some some staying power with him it's a good day for um mississippi rookie receivers because right. aj brown went for 100 and, and metcalf went for 89 but um but yeah tk metcalf belongs uh on the on a, on a fancy roster i think in in standard kind of 12
0: team leagues he he's a guy that should be employed is there um a- enough passing volume in this offense for him to be a regular starter as you said Cincinnati very clearly focused on Tyler Lockett one catch made it count a 44 yard touchdown Uh, but that's obviously not going to be the case every single week is there going to be enough uh, target volume overall here for DK Metcalf to be a regular starter or do you still see him as more of a depth by week injury sort of option?
1: I think the reason there is going to be is because this defense is not as good nearly as any of the defenses that, that Pete Carroll's had here. And, and Andy Dalton threw for a uh, career high passing yards yesterday, uh, you know, over 400 yards. That secondary is not good. And, and, you know, give some credit to Zach Taylor and, and the offenses they are run, which I thought were pretty creative and moving guys around and, and, hitting, you know, running guys across the field. Um, it was it was a smart offense, but it's also a, a bad secondary right now. So I think the score, the opponents are going to be able to score on the Seahawks uh, a lot more than we've seen in the past, and that's going to make it hard for the Seattle Seahawks to run as much as they want to. and And by the way, Pete Carroll hates it when they say they're a run heavy system. They, they, <laughs> he he wants he wants to be known as a team that runs a balanced offense. And so I think they're going to be balanced just because they're not going to be able to hold defense or opposing offenses down as much as we've seen in the past.
0: Let's stick in that game. Uh, Another wide receiver who really popped yesterday was John Ross, the guy we've been waiting for for a few years, uh, ends up catching seven of 12 targets for 158 yards and a couple of scores. Um, Is this something that has lasting power, or is this just a one-week situation against a secondary that does not uh, live up to the name brand that it once had?
1: I think they're a lot smarter offensively than they were under Lewis uh, as the head coach. And, you know, Taylor comes from the Rams – and he, John Ross ran the fastest 40 yard time ever. And he wasn't just a one trick pony I, at the university of Washington. I watched a lot of him. And so I've been as shocked as anybody at how ineffective ineffective he's been so far in his NFL career. But if you watch the way they used him and, and trying to utilize that speed starting on one side of the field and crossing all the way across the other side and trying to get him, Uh, In motion and in places where he can utilize that speed and and uh, they did a great job of that. And then, you know, there was a kind of a busted busted, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw that the long touchdown he had where Tedrick Thompson tried to jump in front Mm -hmm. of him and completely whiffed on it (laughs) and uh, and Ross got the touchdown, but the guys got uncommon speed and i think he's finally in a situation in his nfl career where they're going to actually try to use it so i feel pretty good about him i actually feel like aj green is probably going to be out for a while so uh maybe that doesn't uh conflict with his playing time right away so i i'm i'm interested in john ross for sure just because of the change of the regime there in cincinnati
0: yeah, twenty-three targets combined for he and Tyler Boyd. It's not like Tyler Boyd was a no non-factor in this game. He had eight right. grabs for sixty yards on those eleven targets. So uh, you got to like seeing John Ross being able to produce alongside a heavily used. Tyler Boyd. Certainly, those are going to be the top two receivers in Cincinnati until A.J. Green makes his return. Uh, Let's consider another rookie receiver, Terry McLaurin for Washington. Seven targets, caught five of them, 125 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Washington was one of the early stories of the day, jumping out to a huge lead on the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, the Eagles came back and ended up getting the win and saving a lot of survivor people just like Seattle did along the way, but. McLaurin looked like he could be an impact guy. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the relationship he has with Dwayne Haskins from their shared time at Ohio State, but it was Case Keenum who looked pretty effective in this game for Washington. Keenum's obviously got the job for at least the foreseeable future. We'll see what happens if uh, if his play takes a turn, but whether it's Keenum, whether it's Haskins, where are we on Terry McLaurin going into week two?
1: Man, it's funny. I like when I started to look at, uh, you know, the the rookies that were coming in, when I started to do my look at all the film and stuff, I was looking at Dwayne Haskins and just kind of wanting to, because I I don't I'm not a Big Ten guy. I didn't spend my my year watching Big Ten football. I was I wasn't a big Urban Myers guy missing either. Out. So. Missing out, <laughs> missing out.
0: Big Ten football's where it's at. So I'm
1: like I'm playing catch up on Dwayne Haskins and just kind of going over his film and. I had to basically stop watching Dwayne Haskins and go diving into this McLaurin guy. I'm like, who is this McLaurin guy? He's making all these plays all over the field. He looks awesome. Uh, so th- that's why he became one of my favorite, you know, rookie wide receivers coming in. I assumed that he would take off when Haskins kind of was mm-hmm. awarded the quarterback job there. in in Washington, I wasn't expecting him to hit right away with case Keenum, but uh, I'm not surprised because the guy is a talent. Um, and it's sort of interesting that, I don't know that I believe yet that Washington is going to be a week in and week out, kind of, you know, have this passing prowess that we saw in week one. So I'm a little bit worried consistency-wise, but um, I'm not worried about McLaurin's talent. And if I'm, you know, going in on Trey Quinn or Paul Richardson or Terry McLaurin, even though it's obvious by the numbers that McLaurin's a guy, I think I'm still – I'm just going to stick with McLaurin as the, the guy I want long season, you know, uh, for the long haul. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to feel like there's going to be consistency uh, right away. And we'll, we can see some we can see a little bit of a roller coaster ride with him. But uh, certainly he's capable of, of coming up with these kind of games from t- time to time.
0: Yeah, I think he's the easily the most talented pass catcher on that team. Uh, and you love that he did as much damage as he did. Trey Quinn had six targets, caught four of them, 33 yards and a touchdown. Paul Richardson had seven targets, also caught four of them for 36 yards. Uh, you look at those numbers and you put, compare them up against what McLaurin did, it's clear that he's got the opportunity to pretty quickly uh, distinguish himself as the number one receiver on this team. So definitely someone who I think should be pretty hard – Targeted pretty heavily, excuse me, in fantasy leagues, even knowing that you know, Washington's offense isn't going to get uh, 380 yards and three touchdowns and 27 points out of Case Keenum every single week. McLaurin definitely has that sort of game-changing ability to be a consistent fantasy starter. Let's consider. Just, uh, just oh, yeah. to
1: add something really quick, I, I thought Dallas looked great. They're going to be playing Dallas this week. If I picked up McLaurin, I probably wouldn't be starting him in like standard standard 12 team mixers. Um, mixers. I'm talking Major League Baseball here. Uh, <laughs> but in standard 12 teamers, I don't think I would start him this coming week.
0: Yeah, Dallas definitely uh, was a game against the Giants at home that they're expected to win, but can't take it away from them both sides of the ball. They looked excellent. So definitely a note of uh, caution for McLaurin in week two, but someone who we like as a long term ad at the wide receiver position. Let's uh, turn our attention down to the state of Florida, where we have a couple of teammate duos that we need to talk about. We'll start uh, in Miami with Devonte Parker and Preston Williams. Uh, it's a lot to talk about with this Miami team, but... Uh, we've got uh, we've got Chris Perkins our uh, our athletic Miami Dolphins beat writer coming on podcast by committee on Tuesday to cover all that drama. So you and I Funston will just focus on the wide receivers and whether we should be adding them in fantasy leagues. Either of these guys jump out to you as someone who you're going to make a claim for this week, Parker or Williams? Uh I I would I actually own Parker in a few few leagues
1: um because Look, it was proven on, on Sunday, 59 to 10. This is a team that is is tanking. Players want to be traded in mass right now. Um, this is a team that you circle on the calendar or on, on the weekly schedule every week. You want to know who's playing them, and you want to play your guys against them. And you also want to probably consider their receivers heavily because they're going to be playing catch up an awful lot. And so I'm going to go with the the guy that led in targets there at the wide receiver position and Devontae Parker, who, you know, he's, he's always been the summer's, you know, favorite player in the Miami camps. He's always the one who's the best. He looks better than anybody else. And we got that narrative again this year. And I think he is more talented than anybody else there. He has, you know, he hasn't been able to be consistent for a full season or stay healthy for a full season, but I buy the talent, I buy the situation, and you know, I like Ryan Fitzpatrick being there. I when it's Josh Rosen, I might that might give me pause, but uh, for now, I'm with Fitzpatrick at the helm in this situation. I think I want Devonte Parker more than more than the others, but they're all sort of interesting because of the situation.
0: Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think this is a year that I mean, Devonte Parker, obviously, uh, is probably never going to be what people thought he was going to be coming out of Louisville. Um, but this year, uh, with Kenny Stills gone from Miami, it might be a year where his talent is just too overwhelming for anyone else to uh, really uh, challenge him for the target lead on that team. Albert Wilson's a nice a nice slot receiver and Preston Williams certainly looked good uh, yesterday, but I just think that Devontae Parker's talent is so much higher than the rest of that team that that might carry him to the uh, highest target share on the team and then I think Mike Gesicki even though we're not talking tight ends fits into that as well just because of how athletic he is you got to like the opportunity that could be on the table for both of these guys I don't think you're ever going to feel great about starting someone on this offense at least until we maybe see a little bit more from them but you got to love the volume potential with a team that you know could go 1 and 15 2 and 14 this season
1: I'm wondering who they're going to lose to or who they're going to, who they're going to beat. I mean, it's like, man, that's, that's a bad situation. Wow. Yeah.
0: Definitely an ugly one, but one we might be able to exploit at least a little bit later in the season from a a fantasy perspective. Let's move over to uh, Jacksonville. we got a couple other receivers we got to talk about. These guys we talked about a little bit uh, during draft season. Chris Conley and DJ Chark both showed up for the Jaguars yesterday. Conley had seven targets, caught six of them for 97 and a touchdown. Chark, four looks, caught them all. 146 yards he got in the end zone as well. I think both these guys have some fantasy juice. I was really targeting Chris Conley uh, late in drafts. Uh, Philip Heilman was on an episode of podcast by committee. He covers the Jaguars for the Athletic, and he was talking about what a great camp that uh, uh, Conley was having, and the fact that the team couldn't say enough great things about him all summer. That definitely showed up in Week One. If I'm going after a Jaguars receiver, he's the guy who I'm going after. How do you break down the uh, or how do you handicap the race between these two guys for the uh, to be the better fantasy player?
1: Gosh, I don't know if I have a clear winner here. DJ Shark has like, uh, you know, go to wide receiver one talent or athleticism. Um, But, you know, I didn't go in and break down, you know, what happened after Nick Foles went down. I know that Mm -hmm. the Shark touchdown came on a Nick Foles play. I think that was the one where he broke his collarbone, if I'm not mistaken. But uh and D.D. Westbrook was my favorite guy of all these Jaguars, and he got into the end zone, thankfully, to save his day. But like that was because there was all kinds of good talk about his rapport with Nick Foles, and now Foles is out, and I think all bets are off. And mm-hmm. Gardner Minshew it could be Chris Conley. You know, it could. I think there this could be cut three ways as to who's the number one guy here, and it feels like that's always been the case in Jacksonville, whether it's Marquise Lee and um, you know all, all the other. I'm drawing Ke- Keelan. What Keelan? Uh, why oh. am I drawing? Keelan Cole. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Dante Moncrief. It feels like there's mm-hmm. always like three guys that you're kind of like <laughs> arguing against, you know, and who's going to be the go-to guy. I think we're back to that same situation, but the good news is this is a, this is going to be a more wide open Jacksonville offense. than we've seen in the past, uh, you know, with John, John De they running things and they, they want to throw the ball a little bit more. So it could be a little bit more lucrative. Um, but if I'm, if I'm, banking on upside, I'm going to go with shark. Um, Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling that Conley will probably be the guy who's a little bit more
0: consistently helpful week in and week out. Yeah. I'm with you there. And I just think that after the summer he put together from, uh, you know, the boots on the ground telling us how good he looked that uh, there's going to be some sort of foundation target uh, share for him that Shark doesn't necessarily have. So that's why I prioritize Conley ever so slightly over DJ Chark. Uh, let's hit a couple more receivers before we before we turn our, our backs on this uh, position. Uh, three more guys. I think we should we should at least mention. Uh, we'll just go through them pretty quickly here. Cole Beasley, Danny Amendola and Debo Samuel. Uh, Beasley, nine targets, caught five of them for 40 yards. Samuel didn't do much, just three targets, uh, caught them all for 17 yards. He was a guy who was a little bit disappointing in week one, but I don't think we should totally write him off because of that. Amendola was one of the surprises of week one. Seven grabs for 104 yards on a tu- and a touchdown, and on 13 targets, and that was the, uh, the tie game, so we had 10 extra minutes of football in that one, but still, that 13 target number really jumps out for Danny Amendola. Uh, we were wondering who was going to if there was going to be any room for anyone in this offense alongside Kenny Galladay Marvin Jones obviously they were going to want to use Hawkinson and he had a great game uh, I sort of look at that Amendola line and get a little bit skittish and it, 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 I feel like this can't possibly be anything near uh, consistent for him because of all those other guys uh, but I'm wondering where you have Amendola going into week two
1: yeah, I'm with you on Amandola. I'm going to take this with a little bit of grain of salt. Uh, you know, I, I you, we like TJ Hawkinson. You got Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, who kind of was silent for most of the game. But those are four options that we have to kind of be interested in. And this is supposed to be a team that wants to run more than I- anything else. Uh, so I just don't think there's going to be a lot of upside in this passing game. And I think we've probably seen I, – I would – I wouldn't, I don't think it's going on a limb to say this might be the best game we're going to get from Danny Amendola in terms of fantasy. And, and, you know, it wasn't that efficient, seven catches on 13 targets for a guy who, you know, uh, works in the slot. That's not a great efficiency kind of game. Um, but I just think it was the nature of the game and, uh, the fact that they got 10 extra minutes. I know he had at least one or two catches in that overtime period. So, um, so yeah, I, I think he's more aligned with Cole Beasley. I don't think that, You know, the numbers for week one are pretty far apart between the two, but I think they're what we think of Cole Beasley is probably what we should think of, of Danny Amendola.
0: Yeah, I am with you completely, and let's not forget also that this is a team that uh, whether they can do it or not is uh, one question, but uh, they're going to want to live with that, with that run game, and so I think uh, what we saw from them against Arizona uh, was maybe a little bit out of character for what they are equipped to do and for what they want to do in terms of how many times Matthew Stafford put it in the air, so it'll be something that's interesting to watch going forward, but uh, I'm with you. Amendola barely even on uh, my my radar when I'm making claims over the next 48 hours or so. All right, let's let's uh, let's do one last little sweep through the wide receiver position. We stipulate that Jamison Crowder and John Brown, right off the top of the show, those are our two favorite wide receivers. If they're available in any of your leagues, you're going after them and you're going after them aggressively. But of this secondary group that we just talked about, Funston, who are your top three? We don't need to run through all of them. But of this second okay. group, who are the top three guys that you're going to be going after in leagues?
1: Uh, John Ross, DK Metcalf, and I will say, gosh, it's kind of a tie between McLaurin and, and Devontae Parker, just because again, I think Miami is going to have to throw the ball so much that it's going to, uh, it's going to be hard for it not to help Devontae Parker.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair, uh, and I'm right there with you. I just got McLaurin ahead of Parker uh, okay. with relative ease just because um, it, it's sort of like in fantasy, you trust the devil you don't know rather than the one you do. <laughs> it's like we've seen, th- we've seen this from Devontae Parker before. Like if, if, if I don't grab him and someone else in my league does and he burns me, you know, so be it. I got burned by Devontae Parker. But McLaurin, uh, with the great summer he had, with the great uh, career he had at Ohio State, and with what he already did in his first NFL game, that's some upside I want to bank on and I want to bet on. So McLaurin yeah. would be my guy, but I'm with you. I think Metcalf uh, Metcalf would be my first. Uh, that's got a lot to do with Russell Wilson and, and how much I trust him. John Ross would be my second, and then McLaurin would be my third. And again, just to drive it home, that comes after, after Jamison Crowder John Brown, and for me, Marquise Brown as well. You got Marquise Brown ahead of those guys, or do you think he's more in that group?
1: Uh, I think like John Ross, John Brown, and Marquise Brown are kind of, they're they're close. I think I would put Marquise Brown, ooh, that's third on that list, but that's a very tight group. I think yeah. you could be pretty happy with with all of them. By the way, we didn't really mention much about A.J. Brown. What's, what's your thoughts on him?
0: Yeah, uh, I worry about the Tennessee offense more than anything. Uh, Again, they they looked great uh, against the Browns, uh, and that's a defense that we expected a lot out of. Obviously, that did not happen in week one. Marcus Mariota had one of the best games of his NFL career. I still am a little bit concerned about this offense as a whole and how much volume it's going to get, and uh, the fact that A.J. Brown only had four targets. He made the most of them, three grabs for 100 yards. But add that all up, and for me, he's more in the – Uh, DJ Chark, Chris Conley, uh, Devontae Parker group, rather than the John Brown, Terry McLaurin, uh, DK Metcalf group. I'm with
1: you. I just think next week it could be Corey Davis, three catches for Mm -hmm. hundred yards and AJ Brown having a goose egg. I, I think that's the kind of offense that they're in with them wanting to be run heavy with the quarterback who, you know, it's hard to it's hard to pin down. So I, I'm with you on that assessment for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'll I'll go after AJ Brown before I go after Preston Williams or Danny Amendola. But he's in, he's probably even closer to that group than he is to the guys who were really excited about going into week two. At least for me. Yep. Um, all right, quarterbacks. We got one quarterback that we need to talk about before we talk about QBs to stream this week. We're really talking about two QB and super flex leagues where every quarterback in the NFL has waiver wire value if he's going to start. And we do already have a new starter because of that Nick Foles clavicle injury. Gardner Minshew is going to be taking over as the starter in Jacksonville. Uh, If you didn't watch any of this uh, Jacksonville-Kansas City game, you'd probably be pretty shocked to see the numbers that Minshew came away with. 22 of 25. I want to say he completed his first 13 or 14 attempts before he finally threw an incomplete probably should have been a, a pick six actually his first incompletion that was dropped but still looked pretty good 275 yards a couple of touchdowns didn't end up throwing one interception again every quarterback has value in two QB and super flex leagues and we're obviously not talking about Minshew as a one, traditional one QB league waiver wire target unless maybe you're going to try to stream him uh, at some point during the season but how much value are you going to put on Minshew in leagues where you are playing two quarterbacks every week?
1: Well, so you probably feel like he's a, he's a lesser, you know, value than Nick Foles, the guy who uh, he's replacing, but I think he's an obvious, he's an obvious pickup for the Nick Foles owners in those two QB and super flex leagues. I, you got to put him kind of in the the bottom five or six quarterback starters in the league. Um, but he, that said he played well, and this is a team that, maybe it's going to throw a little bit more than we've seen in the past. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot to say other than if you're a Nick Foles owner, you go out, you get Gardner Minshew. If you're somebody who is forced to start Eli Manning all the time, uh, then maybe you grab Minshew cause maybe Minshew ends up having a little bit more juice than Eli Manning. And maybe the, the fact that they had Daniel Jones out there in garbage time means that they're going to accelerate his, you know, his getting back into the lineup there. Um, think if you're a Ryan Fitzpatrick or Case Keenum owner, you're looking at a guy like Arden Minshew saying he's going to have guaranteed playing time, whereas these other guys, we don't know if they could be, you know, if they're out of the lineup in two, three weeks. So I think Minshew makes some sense to... Go from those kind of guys, even though Case Keenum looked very good, and maybe they'll ride that out for a little bit longer. But um, I think you know, in those tenu- tenuous situation, quarterback situations, Gardner Minshew is a guy we know is going to be out there for
0: a long time. So maybe a flip to over to him. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm I'm going after him if even if one of those guys is my third quarterback, uh, just because Minshew's got the clear, uh, safer playing time situation than Eli, then Case Keenum. Uh, certainly if you're a Foles owner, I'm going after Minshew for sure. I would even consider him if, if my QB three or if I'm I, I being forced to start someone like Joe Flacco or Derek Carr with regularity, I'd at least throw a couple of bucks at Minshew and try to get him on my team because uh, he look, I mean, it's only one game. Uh, we're not exactly sure what to make of the Kansas City defense yet. That was a high scoring game. Uh, Chiefs were ahead comfortably pretty much the entire game, so it was a pretty fertile passing ground for Gardner Minshew, but that takes nothing away from how well he played, especially getting thrown into the fire the way that he was, so someone who I think uh, has you know top, I think he, he could be a top 25 quarterback going forward, and that might not sound like much, but in 2QB super flex leagues, a guy who can be that level of quarterback, could end up being a regular starter, so definitely someone who uh, I've got some interest in this week as we get ready to make our bids. One more guy who we should talk about also who has yet to play as we are recording. This is Darren Waller. Uh, Obviously we're going to have a a little bit different of, of of an opinion uh, based on how much run, how much, how many targets he gets in this game. But I think he's someone who has to be uh, one of the most watched players on Monday night football tonight. When the Raiders host the Broncos uh, with Antonio Brown, now in new England, Darren Waller could be one of the big winners uh, in terms of target share for that Oakland offense.
1: Absolutely agree. I'm actually, as as you say, we're taping this ahead of time. But uh, I've got Darren Waller in a few lineups tonight. I love the situation now that Antonio Brown is out. Um, there's, I mean, you got Hunter Renfro who has never played a game. Tyrell Williams who is not a he's not a ball hog. You know, he's more of a vertical threat. He's going to get his opportunities when he's not the one is going, they're going to look to when they're trying to move the chains consistently down the field. So I look at Darren Waller and an offense that has been very, been very good to the tight end position. You know, you look back to Jerry Cook last year, they love to throw their tight ends and you got Foster Moreau and Derek carrier backing up Darren Waller. It's going to be Darren Waller. And I would not be surprised in, in week one that we see him get, you know, get a good, a good share of targets right out of the gate. So he's a very athletic guy. um, And he's in a great position right now to really kind of step up.
0: I mean, there's a legitimate non-zero chance that he is the go-to pass catcher for this team, that he's a, yeah. a, a, a George Kittle for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would not, I would not be surprised at all by that. If he comes out of t- t- tonight with, uh, you know, nine, 10 targets, six, seven catches, you know, I, I would, that wouldn't shock me at all.
0: Yeah, definitely someone who, if you're listening to this on Monday and he's still sitting out there just as a free agent that you can grab, might want to consider who that last player on your roster is because even if you feel good at tight end, there's enough of a of a path to, to big-time relevance for Darren Waller where even if you feel good about what your tight end is, he could be someone who opens up some trade doors or maybe even start as a flex player. So definitely keep an eye on him tonight against the uh, Denver Broncos. Funston, let's talk some quarterbacks who were willing to stream – in week two give me your uh we, give me your number one quarterback if you got to stream the position who's the one guy you're going after with gusto this week
1: oh Dak Prescott threw all over the Giants and we saw Josh Allen come out and have a pretty solid game in fantasy he, he led all quarterbacks in rushing by the way did you look at the rushing yard numbers from the quarterbacks like Matt Stafford and uh, like Matt Ryan were two of the top four rushers this week. Like like all the guys that we, yeah. (laughs) Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, you know, Lamar Jackson, all these guys, none of them ran. Uh, But Josh Allen was the one guy he ran for 38 yards. He ran for a touchdown. He threw for, you know, the big game uh, working with John Brown. So I, I like Josh Allen a lot. He'd probably be right up there for me among the guys eligible in terms of ownership uh, at the quarterback position that I'd be looking to start.
0: Yeah, I think he's probably the easy number one streamer, and all these guys are owned in fewer than 40% of leagues. So most likely, if you need to stream, you're going to be able to – to get uh, one of these guys we're talking about, other than Allen, I'll throw out Andy Dalton. Uh, as you said, a career high uh, against the Seattle Seahawks in Week One uh, gets the Cleveland, or excuse me, gets the San Francisco 49ers in Week Two. Uh, they did a, a, a pretty solid job, but a lot of that was uh, you know Jameis being Jameis. So uh, I think Dalton can have a much better game, and especially if Zach Taylor has brought a level of passing competency to this offense that we uh, did not see when Marvin Lewis was running the show in Cincinnati. Dalton could have some sneaky streaming value over the next couple of weeks. So give me Andy Dalton against the San Francisco 49ers. Is there anyone else other than those two that you would consider? Or you think those two are, or at least I guess I'm sort of putting words in your mouth with Dalton. uh, But uh, anyone else that you would would consider uh, as a potential streamer in week two?
1: Well, you had the you wanted to say the guy you wanted your quarterback to go against the Cleveland Browns. You kind of <laughs> started to say that, yep. and I, I would throw out Sam Darnold. I mean, like we said, Marcus Mariota had one of his best days throwing the ball against this Cleveland Browns defense. I'm sure they'll come back uh, smarting a little bit and, and put up a better effort, but I don't think it's a bad streaming option either. And Sam Darnold, you know, you got the Le'Veon Bell um, outlet now that worked in Week One for a touchdown. You got Jameson Crowder who who was quickly established himself as the security blanket for Darnold and the big play upside of Robbie Anderson. Against a team in the Cleveland Browns that looked way worse than we thought on defense, so not a bad streaming option there either.
0: Yeah, definitely. Darnold is in the mix there. And uh, for my Superflex teams that really believe in Sam Darnold this year, I hope he has a little <laughs> bit better of a game against the Browns uh, than he did in week one against the Bills. Let's move over to defenses now. Funston, uh, for me, the one defense that really jumps off the page to stream, they were widely available because of their week one matchup at home against the Los Angeles Rams. Obviously not necessarily a team you want to stream. But week two, the Carolina Panthers get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We saw what the 49ers did to this team. We saw how how bad Jameis Winston looked throwing the football. I think Carolina could really exploit this matchup. And it's a home game. They're going to be favored. I really like the Panthers as a stream defense this week.
1: Yeah, that would have been my number one choice too. Uh, that's a that's a very good choice going up against Jameis and how bad he looked. I think if I had to go there with my second second option, I like uh, the Texans versus Jacksonville. I, as much as Gardner, Gardner Minshew looked good, you did mention the fact that there was probably a six uh, pick six that was left on the board there. Uh, this is the Texans that get some film on Minshew now, and they get to prepare for him, and they also get him at home. So this is going to be Minshew's first start on the road. He's gonna have to deal with jj watt so i would take those chances maybe get the rookie to to cough up a a turnover or two that leads to a big play i like the potential in that one for the texans
0: yeah and that's another team that is available in more leagues than they likely should be based on their defensive talent because of their week one matchup that we also have yet to see. They've got the uh, opener on Monday night tonight against the new Orleans saints. They weren't playing the saints. They were playing a lesser offense. Got a feeling they wouldn't quite qualify for our uh, availability threshold, but Hey, take advantage of that. That's a nice play. That's a nice place to stream as well. I'll throw out one more before we go. Uh, Titans at home against the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Jacoby Brissett looked very effective uh for most of that game against the chargers uh but i love what the titans did to bite ba- baker mayfield and one of the you know highest profile offenses going into the season i think they can repeat that effort and maybe even build on it in week two at home against the colts uh anyone else that you're looking at if you miss out on any of these defenses we've mentioned
1: uh, that was my that was my second favorite one as well <laughs> well actually my third Keep favorite. stealing from you uh, yeah you keep stealing from <laughs> me um no, I think that's that's probably of the available ones, the ones I'd be really hoping for to be there. Uh, maybe the, maybe the Bills, maybe the Bills. That's sure. a that's a pretty good defense. Uh, yeah. But they're they're at the Giants. Not a big road trip for them. Uh, I, I think it's a talented defense and there's potential for some big plays against Eli Manning or Daniel Jones if Jones gets in again.
0: Hey, you know, I just realized, do they even go home or do they just do they just stay in the New York, New Jersey area uh, and just hang out? Well, there? It's,
1: it's not like it's not like they, it doesn't take a very long to get home right. so they can
0: they can do the there and back again thing pretty quickly. But they're going to they're going to play two games there before either the Jets or Giants <laughs> do. How about that? I like. I
1: like the whole three New York teams playing, you know, a little round robin to start. Yeah. Maybe that'd be pretty that'd be fun to start the year. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Funston, I think this was a pretty good way to start the year for us here on Wire to Wire. Uh, again, uh, if, uh, if you listen to this on Monday, uh, if anything happens uh, that requires uh, an update to this show, uh, Funston and I will get together, an emergency record, and throw tack it on to the end of this, depending on what happens on Monday night football. Otherwise. Take these. Uh, take this uh, to your waiver wire. Make the claims you need. Go ahead. Add to your team. This is one of the most important parts of winning fantasy football is making those big waiver claims. You can also get this in print form from Jake Seely. That will be live for you on Tuesday. Put those together, and hopefully it'll help you make uh, your big-time waiver claims. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, free on iTunes, Spotify, please rate, review. Uh, you can follow uh, Brandon at Brandon Funston on Twitter. You can follow me at MBeller. And again, don't forget, we have a special Friday bonus episode. That one is for subscribers only when we'll wrap up uh, the week that was. Look ahead to the the impending games. Talk about streamers again, uh, depending on what's happened with injuries over the week. So a good way to launch yourself into your weekend, getting your lineup set. Uh, For Brandon Funston, I am Michael Beller. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you on Friday and then again next Monday on Wire to Wire.